topic. My name is Lawrence Hunter. I'm a retired police captain from the state of Connecticut, and I've written a new book called Police Reform. And I talk about the evolution of law enforcement here in America and what changes need to be made in order to improve the relationship between the police and the communities that they serve. Over the past few months, it has become increasingly more important and more evident that there's something amiss and awry between the police and the communities that they serve. So whether you're about defunding the police or defending the police, if you're about Blue Lives Matter or Black Lives Matter, no matter what side of the fence you happen to sit on, make sure that you pick up your copy of Police Reform today. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of Captain Hunter's Podcast, a podcast that is dedicated towards bridging the divide between the police and the communities that they serve. Thank you so much for tuning in. Really, really appreciate the love and support and everything like that. Thank you so much. We're going to jump right into the episode here for today. We have a special episode. Well, not special, but um, it's an episode that unfortunately uh, I did not upload and I can't understand why. I must have forgot about it or something along those lines. Watching the George Floyd uh, uh, trial, uh, the Derek Chauvin trial, to be more accurate, watching the Derek Chauvin trial, realizing that they had a one of the, if not the first, one of the first witnesses that testified for the prosecution was a witness who saw the, um, obviously a witness to the to the killing, and he was a he was a mixed martial arts fighter who explained some chokeholds and explained some maneuvers and uh, understood his knowledge of what was going on at the time of circumstance. And uh, in in all actuality, I had a good friend of mine uh, on the show, uh, Chris Smith, who has worked with us. At our police department training in mixed martial arts expertise um, talk, he talked specifically about knife attacks and he continues to still work uh, with the department today he, as I mentioned um, he's he talked about knife attacks and just ground attacks and uh, survival and all that type of thing so uh, if you listen to the episode that I recently released with um, Val Van Brocklin uh, in that I talked about I read an article stating some research that says that the more proficient officers are with their unarmed hand-to-hand ground fighting MMA type of fighting styles or, or capabilities, the more proficient they are with that, then the less likely they are to use force. Now this may seem to be counterintuitive, but it actually makes complete sense. Um, training in mixed martial arts, the research is showing that it doesn't make one more aggressive or more uh, um, willing to put hands on but it makes them less uh, likely to make mistakes more confident more proficient in their capabilities and understanding that verbal judo or the ability to talk the way out of circumstances comes first and resulting to physical violence is the last resort so if we want to stop these unnecessary taserings if we want to stop these unnecessary shootings accusations of, of police violence police use of force abuse of force and things like that then I suggest that any officer out there, any corrections officer, police officer, parole officer, probation officer, security guard, or anyone else out there who uh, is listening to this podcast and wants to understand uh, how it is you can use a less amount of force and, and still effectively get your, your job done, is to consider using and taking up and mix some form of mixed martial arts. Period. Full stop. Consider it. Do it. Train for it. Train are often and therefore you become more confident in yourself confident in your abilities if you know your partners are training with you you become more confident in their abilities um, and so it is really really something for us to think about and something for us to consider once again 
I really appreciate my friend Chris Smith coming on the show and talking about these type of things. Uh, we're going to talk about um, the Derek Chauvin trial, even even though when we recorded this, actually, it was on. It was during the, um, the, the, the riots and protests that were going on, I believe, last June or so we recorded it um, and it sat on. Uh, well, sat on is the wrong verb. <laughs> it's the wrong is the wrong analogy, wrong way of saying it. It was on my Facebook page. Uh, it was on uh, the YouTube page. Both of those are Captain Hunter's podcast, but I did not release the audio uh, from this. So if you want to see the video from this, go over to Captain Hunter's podcast on YouTube, Captain Hunter's podcast on Facebook, or just sit back, relax, go for your nice run, your walk, your workout, and listen to myself and Chris Smith, uh, MMA specialist, MMA fighter, MMA trainer, as we talk about MMA fighting, training, our experiences at the Waterbury Police Department. You know, we're going to talk about a little bit about the George Floyd, Derek Chauvin events how they unfolded at the time. Remember, this has been recorded some time ago. I want to thank him again. And here we go. Here's the episode. Oh, we're live. <laughs> uh oh. All right, man. So there's right now we can see where there's no viewers right now. So we'll wait a couple minutes here before. Okay. I was told that if you don't go live uh, at the time that the Facebook will cut you off or some crazy mess. So I don't, I don't know. Yeah. You know, they have a lot of rules for that kind of stuff. Like, um, <laughs> like if you're using your phone to go live, right? If you turn, like say if you're using it in the vertical position and decide to go horizontal, you, you're not allowed to do that. They're like, no, you have to please keep the phone or yeah, the device. Yeah. Like, okay. I'm just, it's not like, I don't know. I, it's just weird, but yeah, who knows what their reasons are. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't understand that either. As a matter of fact, I, a friend of mine tried to do a live. We tried to go live and like, I kept turning my phone, but it wasn't working because I had mm -hmm. the, the sensor clicked off or some, something like that. So I don't know why that is either. That's that was really really weird. So yeah, I don't know. But so if people come, they come. If not, we can just definitely have a conversation, and I'll put it up on YouTube and all that kind of stuff. So sure. Yeah. So we'll just give them a couple minutes, see if people jump on. I did get a few likes and all that kind of stuff when I put the posters out and stuff. So we'll see cool. what happens. You know. We'll see what happens. Maybe they don't think I'm real because, you know, growing up with a name like Chris Smith, it's a uh, it's very... Like, yeah, who's this guy? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know what I mean? He's, you know, he's like Joe Average's cousin or, or Joe Smith's cousin or, you know what I mean? Like, he's not even a real guy. That's a fake name. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty funny. <laughs> you know? True story. When I was a kid, you know what I mean? Every once in a while you run into, you know, you're, you're goofing off, you're doing... You're, mischievous or whatever and uh i must have been about 14 and uh we get you know uh caught up with some police officers and he's like what's your name he's asking every kid what's their name and i chris smith and he's like what and i like chris smith and he's like what's your real name and i'm like no no it's real my real name you know and i didn't have id because i was 14 you know <laughs> and i'm like i promise you that's my name so I, I interviewed an attorney. His name was Jonathan Smith. John Smith. Yeah. I mean, come on. <laughs> like, yeah, right. On. That's his real name. Yeah. You know, so he always put Jonathan on there because he knew that it just sounds like a fake name. John, John Smith. All right, man. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, 
I um my son, he's Richard, so at least his name's a little bit more, you know, not as boring. Rich yeah. Smith. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's yeah, cool. Rich, yeah. So and uh I, man, it's so weird talking about them because like in my mind I still see two little kids, you know what I mean? But they're adults and and they're they have they have their own lives and and my daughter, my son, they I mean I wouldn't say that they don't need me. I would hope, you know what I mean? But like it sometimes it's really weird having to sit there and go I'm I can only advise now. I can't tell them what to do. I can't, you know what I mean? I, you know? I don't know if that feeling really ever goes away, in all honesty. Um, because I look at mine the same way, man, and I still see those those little kids that always need your, your love and support. But then to watch them, you know, start dating and driving and all yeah. the other adult stuff, man. My daughter just is just uh, finished uh, her her associate's degree, so now she's talking about going to, for, to a four year school. You know, finishing off. She eventually wants to get her master's degree, but wow, good for so her. Well, I mean, <laughs> yeah, but the financial impact is like, uh, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. So I was glad that she wanted to go to a community college at least for the first two years because now she's got all the basics out. So. It that makes was the most sense. Oh yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. And I was able, and, you know, I was able to pay for it because I started, you know, I did all that, that, uh, that chat, that Connecticut Higher Education Trust when they were kids, and I was mm. able to save up enough, you know. And then that's cool. Uh, that was, but that was just for community college. There's no way I could pay for, you know, a bachelor's degree, you know. Right, right. So, so, but uh, yeah, and that's another thing too. Man, school is so dang expensive, man. You know. Oh yeah. So, you know, even if you're in state, you know what I mean? Like Yukon for a resident is still way, way up there. You know, what last I mean? time I checked, it was like 24,000 or 25,000 or something like that. And that's, yeah. Like, what is that? What is that? Yeah. And you, I don't know how that, and you think that when in the 40s or 50s or so, it was free or, 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 you know, really, really inexpensive, whatever it was, you know, it's, how we go from that to this is, oh, yeah. It's a business. <laughs> it really is. Um, you know, uh, you the, usually the plan for most kids, I think, if they're if they're focused on their money, is you bang out all whatever you can at the community college, and and th those courses are good. I mean, I took classes at Naugatuck Valley, and um, you know, at at that Tunxis. And I mean, uh, as far as I'm concerned, you know, English is English. You know what I mean? Um, algebra is algebra. I mean, what's the difference? I could see when you're trying to like get into your 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 core classes, like the things like you know that are the focus of your major. Then I can see you need whatever they're offering at whatever Quinnipiac or Western, or you know. But otherwise, you could go. I mean, I have friends who excuse me, will probably, they'll be in their 60s paying off that college debt. You know what I mean? Maybe yeah. older. Maybe older, yeah. I talked yeah. to a doctor. She's a medical doctor in St. Louis. She's talked, her her medical bills are in the 300, I mean, not her medical bills, her student loans are in the 300,000. Uh, I know PhDs who got their PhDs all 150,000. Wow. Uh, 
and it's just crazy, you know, just to know that, that that's going on and just to see that, that that's where our, our, um, you know, how do you pay that off when you're, you know, when you're doing that kind of stuff? How do you, sure. how do you pay that off? You know, it can be a life, it can be a life sentence and you can never get rid of it. Right. So you can, if you, 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 if you default in your house, and you want to uh, file for bankruptcy, you can get rid of your house and, and all this kind of other stuff and all these other debts, but you can never get rid of student loans. No, you know? you're still on the hook. <laughs> <You're> still... <laughs> so, yeah. You can buy a house. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, by the time, <laughs> like that's a house. You know what yeah. I mean? But the, but that five hundred dollars a month, you better pay us for that degree that you got. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? Or or whatever it is, you know. So it's crazy. Yeah, yeah. So, all right. So we got a viewer here. So thank you so much, whoever you are, and uh, we'll we'll get going here. We were kind of chatting and shooting the breeze here a little bit. Um. So we got my man, uh, Chris Smith, and I want to read your bio, and I just minimized it somehow. Did I do that? All right. Cool. All right. So we got my man, Christopher Smith, 35-year veteran of martial arts. You coached martial arts, mixed martial arts, boxing, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, and Muay Thai at the professional and amateur level. You uh, regularly practice yoga and are certified yoga instructor. And you have been a professional referee for uh, sport jiu-jitsu and submission grappling events since 2010. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Really, really appreciate it thank you thank you thank you <laughs> <laughs> um so i read your bio as you just heard man so what else you got going on man what's what's going on in uh christmas coronavirus world and, and all that kind of stuff man? <laughs> well um i have learned a lot about construction okay. <laughs> <laughs> been doing a lot of projects around the house i've done it all we've done we i've gotten better at painting uh i've gotten better at uh uh, baseboard trim, trimming the doors and windows. Um, we did a roof, uh, done some irrigation. I, I am so maybe in the next life I could be a construction worker or a, or a laborer or something. But um, really, I, I've been using this time, like everyone else has, to uh, do a lot of reading, a lot of reading, and um, just knock out projects around the house. And, um, and, and, and reevaluate, um, things like you have friends and you care about your friends. I never realized how much I cared about my friends and you know what I mean? Um, you love your friends, of course, but I mean, like, I really love my friends because okay. I miss them, you know, <laughs> okay, I miss okay. them. Okay. Um, um, I, I, I live pretty simple. But I, I miss the simple things like going uh, out to eat once in a while or, or going to a, just a simple place. Like, you know, I always like to eat outdoors. You know what I mean? So anytime a, a restaurant uh, has got some kind of a outdoor dining, that's my thing. And then, you know, I, and I love to walk right afterwards just to kind of walk off the food. But um, walking is one of those things where it's sort of like a, a moving meditation. Um, so I, I really enjoy it, you know what I mean? Like, and it's, it's simple. Um, and, and, and you get that, 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 uh, health benefit as well. So I've been, that's, that's what I've been up to, uh, home repairs and, and renovations, a lot of walking, a lot of reading. So, uh, did you know about the home repairs before? Did you have to read books or you had somebody helping you or what? what? Oh yeah. We had help. We had a okay. lot of help. Um, <laughs> Uh, I know enough to get myself into trouble. 
you know <laughs> um but you know i'm blessed i have great friends and family uh great friends and family the two people will come to mind and they're just awesome and you know they either would do the work and i'm helping them or you know in other words so they're helping me help i'm helping them help me uh and then eventually you're like, okay, I, I could do some of this. I could take over. I, I could grab the wheel and, uh, you know, get into it. So, you know, and then, of course, there's YouTube. Mm. YouTube, man. Listen, YouTube University. I'm a graduate. Yeah. yeah. Listen, I'm, I'm, still, I'm still attending, man. Everything I do right now is all YouTube. And as soon as I start saying saying I'm going to do something, I'm like, okay, what? let me check out YouTube and make sure I get this right before I mess it up, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so you said you were reading. What what have you been reading? Um, so I've been reading a lot about spirituality. Um, uh, I think uh, at, at the risk of sounding corny, I think... Um, it's missing for a lot of people um, or maybe not missing for a lot of people. Maybe it's, I think it's missing um, from our, our, our world. You know what I mean? Like uh, we've, I think we've gotten snatched up and, and, and gotten caught up and uh, we're thinking of in terms of dollars and cents, the bottom line, what's in it for me my needs don't worry about your i i think um with the the whole social distancing and 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 self quarantine uh these practices we're we're missing out on on loving our fellow man you know again it, it might sound corny but I, I, that's 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 where i'm at with that you know no i don't um, think that sounds corny i think that that's definitely I think that that's, as you mentioned, you know, you miss doing that. You miss your friends and all that. And I think that we're we're certainly missing that. Um, you know, even this interaction. You know, before I would I would say, okay, let's let's try to get together. That way we can have a nice conversation. and I can record it. You know, right. Uh, but but you know, we got to kind of do this. And I think that it really uh, we're really seeing a change, um, or, or how much our society has changed, and probably for the worse. I mean, we've always known that uh, we've had these economic inequities and all that kind of stuff, you know. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but like you said, the spiritual the spiritual aspect of that close interaction, knowing that you have a friend, a buddy, whose shoulder you can lean on and cry on. I mean, now you want to lean and cry on somebody, you probably you know probably get arrested or something, you know? <laughs> <I> know. <laughs> right? Social distancing and all that. Yep, yep. <laughs> you know, so six uh, feet, six feet. Yeah. You know? <laughs> It's it's crazy. It's crazy. You know. Yeah. I definitely understand. So uh, you're heavy into MMA, man. That's where you and I met, man. So tell us about how you got into MMA. What made you fall in love with it and all that kind of stuff. All right. So I, I got to take it back to the beginning. And um, when I was a kid, uh, my mom put me into martial arts, um, and I would do it, but. I didn't, I, my heart wasn't into it. Um, and uh, I'd go back, she'd send me back, I'd, I'd complain, she'd send me back. Um, and in retrospect, it was probably because I was always the smallest kid, but I wasn't a coward and I had a smart mouth. So because I had a smart mouth, not everyone always thought 
my sense of humor, they didn't like my jokes sometimes, you know what I mean? My comments weren't always appreciated in a positive way. So she's like, this kid is going to get beat up. So she puts me into martial arts and, I, and I, it just, it wasn't for me at the time. And I think it was because I didn't find the right way of approaching it or the right teacher, um, you know, no, no disrespect uh, to the people who tried to train me in the past. It's just that they just, they, they weren't able to reach me. Um, and then when I was around 17, maybe 18, I really got serious about it. I kind of realized that, all right, you know what? My mom is right. And this stuff is pretty cool. So I got serious about it. Um, and so that, that was like a one step. And then, uh, I was training with a guy, um, uh, you might even know him, um, Neil Hoffler, uh, senior. And, um, so he had a, a real tough gym. I mean, it was tough. It was in the hood and like, I mean, it was hot in the summer, cold in the winter, hardwood floors. And, and if you weren't tough, things weren't going to work out for you. Uh, so I loved training with him. Uh, but eventually he closed up shop. Uh, and then I moved on and I, I trained with Ron Kozakowski for a while. And um, that was pretty cool. He was he was showing me stuff that I wanted to. He helped me kind of find my way in the martial arts. You know, the he put me on the path of finding what I needed to learn, what I wanted to learn and how to get it. Uh, so I spent some time with him and then I moved on. Now, once I moved on. You know, I had a, a solid foundation, but let's rewind for a moment. So I had been training with Ron for about two years. And that's about the time. Yeah, I'd been with him up for about two years. And then uh, the UFC came out the very first time, the very first one. And we had been, already been doing some of that stuff in, in you know, closed door sparring. And... Um, Seeing it now on pay-per-view, we're like, yo, that's the stuff that we've been doing. And it was exciting to see it. Uh, and we just were like, wow, this could be a thing. And we just left it at that. We just went about our lives, you know, just we're just going to keep training. We're boxing on Mondays. We're kickboxing on Wednesdays. Fridays, we're doing jujitsu. And then on Saturdays and Sundays, um, we would uh, we'd put it all together. You know what I mean? So now we're we're starting... Uh, from the, the stand-up part of a combat session to the ground. And it was awesome. So, but it, there was no, none of that was sanctioned. And again, we were, it was just sparring for us and training. But the UFC was its own thing. And they didn't even have like a real, they didn't have what they call the unified rules back then. They just, had, I mean, you could headbutt. In the original UFC, you were allowed to headbutt. Uh, yeah, you were allowed to hair and yeah, yeah <laughs> all of that. You could yeah. punch in the groin. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean. They were like, yeah. you can't bite them. <laughs> you can't bite yeah. them. All right, gee, <laughs> there's worse yeah. things you can do to a man. Yeah. You know. So, um, but again, you keep training, and and for me, the more I learned, the more I wanted to learn. So now we're talking. Uh, early 2000 um i opened up my first place in uh 
19, September 2nd, 1998 is when I opened up my very, my own personal space, you know, um, and I wasn't sure what I was doing. I just did it on a whim. You know what I mean? I'm like, Hey, I, I like this stuff. And, and I want to be able to train and, and finance my, uh, my martial arts habit <laughs> and, and have it pay for itself, you know? So now I've got a gym and I've got guys training with me and it, now all of a sudden competitions are sprouting up. Um, and, and, and even more, you know, you've, it started first with a lot of jujitsu competitions, you know, there were always boxing events, um, mm. you know, and, uh, I, I boxed competitively uh, in the 90s for a bit, um, but it wasn't, even now, that's even evolved, you know what I mean? They've, they've got more weight classes for amateur boxing, they've got, um, they've even changed the rule sets, so when I did it, you had to wear headgear. Now, you don't have to wear headgear even for some of the amateur divisions. Uh, so, you know, that's a little bit of your evolution there. And then he, eventually, uh, like around... 2005, 2006, um, we put together a fight team and they were having um, uh, mixed martial, amateur mixed martial arts events in um, uh, Massachusetts. And uh, we had a couple of guys that we put in and they did really well. And then we just kept it going. And then eventually we, uh, I've been fortunate enough to coach uh, a couple of pros, um, either as the head coach or as uh, either uh, uh, performance coach, or sometimes uh, I've been the striking coach for a couple of guys. So that's that's basically how it all started. Was just from a love of a love of training, a love mm. of training. So your mom kind of pushed you into it. Did she uh, appreciate your evolution uh, as far as, uh, you know, uh, she put you in, what was, the, what was the original martial arts she put you in? Was it karate uh, or? Yeah, it was, uh, so there's a, a, a famous guy in the D.C. area, Dennis Brown. Uh, he was a kung fu uh, instructor. And um, that just wasn't quite the right fit for me. Uh, I was way too young to really appreciate it. Um, and then, uh, I got sent up here to live with my, uh, grandparents for a little while. And, um, my uncle, uh, Tony Smith, he, uh, introduced me to, you know, some close quarters combat. Mm. And then, um, like everybody else, all roads lead to either Taekwondo or Tang Sudo. Mm. And when I was with, <laughs> <laughs> when I was with Neil Hoffler, that's what we were doing, Tang Sudo. And then, um... Uh, yeah, I started doing uh, the Muay Thai and the boxing and the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu uh, when I was 18, 18. And okay. I haven't looked back. I haven't looked back. So I was taking uh, Tang Sudo. I see Art, my man Art and Art uh, Rosado in here. So we, I was doing a Tang Sudo at the boys club for a little while. Okay. My mother, my mother was not very supportive of it. So that's why I'm very curious as to your, your mom being very supportive of it. You Does know... She, support your i mean did you come over with black and blues or black eyes or anything <laughs> oh yeah so a couple of things so number one uh she was into me learning she did not like the fighting aspect right. <laughs> she was not into that 
Right. Um, and a couple of times I would come home. I mean, one time I got beat up real bad. I mean, like I had a gash between my eyes, a busted blood vessel in one eye and, and, and a black eye on the other side. And I, you know, I'd have to, I'd lie, you know what I mean? And, and, and I'm sure she knew because, you know, moms aren't dumb. We, we try to act like they are, but they, you know, they know. Uh, but as long as I was willing to keep going and she was quietly supportive. Again, she w- was all about me learning, all about me learning. She just didn't like the fighting part. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So how's it been? You said you have your own spot. And obviously, I'll yep. give you a chance to kind of promote that a little bit. I mean, but it's been closed down, I would assume, because of this coronavirus. And so tell us about how that experience has been and, and all that kind of stuff. Okay, so uh, when it first started, uh, you started hearing about it. So we're talking um, maybe late February, early February. I was talking with some friends uh, who own schools, and they're like, you know, what do you think about this thing? And I'm like, man, it's nothing. You know, it's, it's hype. It's propaganda. It's the flu. We- <laughs> yeah. Then you know, and then I see more of my friends like, yo, this is it's real. And I'm like, eh, I don't know, man. I think I, I think you're 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 getting a little you, I, I think you're making a, this larger than what it is. And then um now we're at the uh end of February, and one of my friends is like, yo, I'm thinking about closing my spot up for a little bit and, and, and seeing what's going to happen with this. And I'm like, what? No way. Now, uh, March, the week of March 13th. So, you know, uh, we'll say like March 9th and March 10th, right? I'm up at the casino, up at Mohegan Sun with one of the athletes that I coach. And, and, and she's fighting... Uh, for Bellator, you know, so she's got a uh, uh, her she's got a, a three fight contract with Bellator. So this is her second fight on her contract. Okay. And um, you know, when you go up there, uh, you're the, you basically stay there for a few days. They go and and the athletes do interviews. There's a whole licensing and and you know all that stuff. Um, whatever it is, you know what I mean? Paperwork that needs to be filed and, you know, just stuff that's got to be signed. So we're up there uh, and I haven't been home for a couple of days, but it's cool. And you're hearing more about it. And then you're hearing um, that uh, maybe, I don't remember who did it first, but they're like, yeah, you know what? Um, NASCAR is canceling this. I'm like, okay. And then, but the fight's still going on. So now, we're, we've gone through all of it. We've gone through all the meetings the, um, and all the, the procedures and protocols to get this fight ready to happen. The day of the fight, all right, so that's a fr- it's Friday, March 13th. We're sitting down, having a, a little meal just before we go back and get ready to hit the arena and, and, and then it'll be showtime. Um, we get a phone call. And the phone call is saying, hey, we just heard that the event's canceled. And I'm like, what do you mean? No, sir. They did cancel it. So now that's, for me, that's when it like really set in that like, so they really canceled this. This thing 
was set to kick off. Oh, I'm sorry. One other thing. Uh, the night before, so uh, Thursday, um, they had said, all right, look it. Because of you know everyone's concerns about the coronavirus, what we're going to do is we're not going to have uh, we're not going to allow spectators. So the athletes are going to fight, uh, and then once you're done, you just exit the arena, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm like, this is going to be really weird to be fighting in an, an arena that has like no people in it. You know what I mean? I've never seen that before. Um. And but whatever we're doing it, the fight's going to happen. And then we got that call, and it didn't happen. And then uh, days later, they're like, "Okay, for the next two weeks, uh, these businesses are shutting down." And then this, and then we got. And so some of the other businesses had, that had gotten hit first. I'm like, "All right." So uh, some of my, you know, my associates that have gyms, uh, we had a con. A, couple of phone conversations, trading ideas. Like, what are you going to do to keep your gym sanitary and safe? Well, we're going to do this. What are you going to do? We're going to do this. And the next thing you know, we got the call, or I'm sorry, they put it on the news that, yeah, gyms are, are shut down. Mm. And that was, that was weird. But it was only supposed, I think it was originally only supposed to be for two weeks. Mm. And then... <laughs> two weeks turned into another two weeks. And then now it's, you know, it's been like two months and we're going on three months and yeah. Yeah. Um, so what's, what's the plan? Uh, everything's starting to open up. I just was watching the news a little while ago and I guess the governor next week, I think everything's supposed to be right back to normal. Right. I, I think. So what's your plan to, to get back to business as usual? The plan is to, uh, well, I'm I'm waiting for a list of protocols that they want, you know, to be observed and practiced. So far, that hasn't come out. So our own plan so far has been to make sure that um, uh, we, uh, what is it, uh, using the um, the infrared thermometers on people, you know, okay, make, yeah, sure yeah, that, yeah, yeah. make sure that anybody who enters the building. Um, yeah. You know, we check their temperature. Um, although, there's, you know, I mean, everyone runs. You need a baseline for that anyhow, though. You know what I mean? Like, some people just naturally run hot anyway. Um, we've been already, you know, because I still have the gym. I just can't teach. But we've been routinely uh, sanitizing the doorknobs, any handle, anything that people would normally touch. We've been hitting with bleach. You know, all the time. Anytime I walk in there, um, I make sure that anything that people touch, anything that I touch, you know, is, is sanitized. Um, we're going to have uh, uh, sanitizer stations. Um, and and everyone has to have their own gear. There, you know, no exceptions, no, no, none at all. Um. That's all you can really do so far, you know. Yeah, no, that's that's definitely understandable. So, uh, um, you talked about your training a woman. I mean, women are really getting into mixed martial arts. They're that's becoming bigger and bigger. Uh, yeah. So, talk about that a little bit. I mean, how many women are you training that are trying to move up and and all that kind of stuff? Is it is it much different than training the guys? 
no, I'm <laughs> Besides no, um, not being able to touch him. <laughs> so, um, uh, I train an athlete. She's ranked number one uh, in the Northeast, um, uh, pound for pound. Um, she's uh, ranked somewhere like around number 15 in the world for her weight class. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, she's really good. Um, very talented. Um, and, uh, and now recently, uh, one of my students uh, who owns a gym, uh, he, we, we share coaching duties. Uh, so uh, like-minded individuals, but, you know, I notice things that he might notice. He notices things that I, I might miss. So it kind of helps. Um, and, and different sets of resources to provide for the athlete. Um, how is it different? It, it's in some ways it's, it's easier. In some ways it's a pleasure to, to coach women. And because most of the time women, they just want to learn. Whereas with a guy with, with a, some, not all, because, you know, if I say all, you know what I mean? Like the internet police will be looking for me, <laughs> but guys tend to know everything. Yeah. They, they're good at everything. You know what I mean? They know they listen and I could teach something and, and I'll get inundated with 20 minutes of dialogue on what they would do, why they do it, what they like, what they're, it's like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or as the women just want to learn. They just want to learn and, um, and they just want to get better. So that's, that's, that, that makes teaching and coaching a pleasure. You know what I mean? It's like, they just want to, they just want to do the work. Yeah. Um, it can be a little challenging sometimes because, um, just emotionally, you know what I mean? Uh, you can address men differently than you address a woman. You know what I mean? I can be like, man, get the out of here. And with a woman, she might be like, who are you talking to like that? And it's like, uh Oh, here we go. You know what I mean? Um, I have, you know, my daughter trains, she doesn't train uh, mixed martial arts, although she's been known to throw a set of gloves on once in a while, but she trains jujitsu. And, um, even when I coach her every once in a while, I've got to like, she's told me it's not what you say. It's how you say it. And I'm like, ah, okay, here we go. So I've learned how to, uh, uh, reframe my comments so that way I can, you know, have a, a stronger rapport. So, uh, if any coaches out there want to want some advice or, or some tips on how to coach female athletes, they should hit me up. I got you. <laughs> you know what I mean? I've been at it for a while. You know, um, I've got a, a, a pretty solid core of female athletes that train, um, just only one fights professionally. Um, but the others, you know, they, they really, I'm like, what's his name? Like Bosley from Charlie's angels. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like <laughs> I, I, you know, <laughs> So it, it's pretty cool. Good. So you talked before, or I think we we're talking maybe offline. Uh, obviously, everything's closed down right now. You're a certified yoga instructor, but you've mm -hmm. been talking about you were teaching online. So talk about that a little bit. Uh, how how you're giving lessons online? So uh, the lessons online. That's you know we we use Zoom. You know the the Zoom app, and um, uh, we just recently. Um, 
bought the actual Zoom uh, program. So they've got the free one, and then they've got the one that you pay for. Yeah, I know uh, all about the free one, yeah. Yeah, yeah the free one. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it's it's got its limits and restrictions. But with yeah. the one that you pay for, it's a lot uh, more user-friendly. Um, and, you know, what we do is you send out an email uh, to let people know that at this time uh, there will be a training session. And, you know, you give them the code to log in. And um, it's great when I have an assistant, you know, so I'll have someone come over uh, and, um, you know, we'll kind of walk it through what we're going to cover and, and whatnot. So that's always great. Um, otherwise, if it's just me, honestly, I get a little bored, but I've done it. You know what I mean? Um, my style of teaching actually, uh, is very interactive. Um, and so I've actually had to do things a little differently. So like I normally wear glasses, uh, in my everyday, you know, going about, but if I'm teaching, I don't wear glasses. Now, if you're teaching online, if someone has a question with the online stuff, I've got to put my glasses on, go up to the computer. I'm like, <laughs> okay, take the glasses off, go back and do it. So I, I'm not a fan of that. Uh, but it is nice to know that the, the training sessions are archived. So mm. that's cool. Uh, so you can always go back. And at some point, I'd like to do something with some of that stuff. I don't know what uh, a greatest hits or a, a mixtape, so to speak, you know, um, maybe something just, and, and, and then eventually the goal would be to put together, uh, a complete online, uh, comprehensive training where it's got everything like, you know, you click on a button and you can, it'll have, uh, a 10 minute workout, a, a 20 minute workout, uh, 20 minutes if you've got a training partner, an hour long if you've got three training partners. I That's the goal is to put something like that together where it addresses every option, every contingency. You know? Cool. Um, so let's talk a little bit about uh, you helped us at the Waterbury Police Academy. Oh, yeah. Uh. So let's talk about, you know, what you did there. And uh, obviously I want to talk about, you know, this craziness that we, that the world is uh, seeing and protesting and all that kind of stuff. Okay. Uh, so, so talk, yeah, so talk about uh, what you did for us at the Waterbury Police Academy. All right. So uh, I've had an ongoing relationship uh, with the Waterbury Police Department, um, a very good one uh, since... Since 1998. So uh, 1998, um, I became friends with uh, Dave Giannetti. Uh, you know, at the time he was a patrolman and then he became a sergeant. And I was there kind of for like every one of the milestones of his career. You know, so, you know even when he, uh, when he made um, assistant deputy chief, I was there. Um, and then, you know, eventually he retired. Um, so we became friends. Uh, really good friends in, in 1998. And um, he would take lessons at my gym. And uh, a friend of mine was passing through town. 
a good friend of mine, a training partner uh, from my youth. Uh, and he was in the military and he was in the special forces, you know. And a lot of people will say, oh, yeah, I got a friend. He's in the special forces and he does this. And it's like, uh-huh, of course he is. But this this guy, he was the, he's the real thing, you know. Um, he even ran some special forces training uh, um, facilities for a bit. Um, had done protective detail. So we were good friends. And, and uh, he's in town. Uh, he comes by to visit. And Dave organized uh, a training session for the ERT team. So now this is back when uh, uh, Captain Bruce uh, was still with the Waterbury Police Department. And uh, we worked on just different stuff. We spent a, a whole day working on just different stuff. Um, breaching, um, uh, empty hand combatives, you know, and anything in between. And we did it at one of the old schools, the old abandoned schools in Waterbury that you guys used to have access to, you know? Yeah, yeah. We had a lot of fun there, yeah. <laughs> you know? And yeah. it was really cool. So yeah. that was the first time. Uh, and then it just it, it just kept rolling, you know. Uh, I worked with some of the guy, the canine guys back when um, back when Jim Dickey was still with the department, you know. And uh, I even had a chance to put on the 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 the, the gauntlets, the, the the dog gauntlets, and the suit and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, and uh, that was pretty cool, uh, different. Um, thank God for equipment because like I would never stick my arm in a dog's mouth like that. <laughs> um, so, and then after that, it just uh, got to um, where usually every time there's a, um, a graduating class or, you know, or even dirt before they graduate, I'd get the call and I've done everything from, uh, I'd work with one group on, uh, Edged weapons, edged weapons comprehension, arrest and control tactics, um, ground fighting, use of force continuum, um, uh, and and even uh, disarms, you know. And the th I think the last time I either worked with them the beginning of this year or it was late last year. I cannot remember which because it was, but it was recent. It was pretty recent. It was, um, yeah, definitely, uh, I would say inside of seven months. So yeah. with all that teaching that you've done with us, uh, was there ever any time that um, you encouraged us or you saw any other instructor encourage the use of putting a knee onto someone's neck? Was that ever part of our curriculum? No, never once. <laughs> never once. Never once. Never once. What are your thoughts about this ridiculous fool out there in uh, Minnesota who did just that? You know, so, and, and, and I, I think that if I say this, but I'm going to say it anyway, um, it might upset some people. And I'm not saying I'm right, but... You know, they they threw race into it. And I personally don't think that that guy uh, is a racist. I think he might be more sociopath. 
not to say that I have a PhD and, and, and can diagnose somebody, but I, I think he, he's, I think, I think he would have done that to a woman. I think that he would have done it to whoever. I think that he was just my own personal, my own personal, my own personal, um, and what makes you say that? Why do you think he? Why, why do you think he would do it to a woman? Do you not think that? Yeah. Why? Why would you say that? Because, so when I worked with the the Waterbury Police Department, everything was always about um, let's you know you you prepare a suspect for handcuffing, and once they're handcuffed, it's done. You know, and and, and George Floyd, he was handcuffed. He was handcuffed. He's belly down. It, 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 I mean, again, I'm not a police officer, but from what I I know from working with police officers and, and different LEOs, it was over. You know what I mean? I'm, it, you know what I mean? Like, put him in the car, bring him to lockup, you know what I mean? Or, or whatever. Process him. Like, I don't see what else was to be gained from that, you know? <laughs> I think we're all I think we're all struggling to figure that out. You know, I don't I don't I I don't get it. I don't know what the holdup was. I mean they had him there for, you know, eight minutes, forty six seconds, his knee is on his neck. I'm thinking the whole time, what are you waiting? What what is the problem? What I mean, were they waiting for a transport? I don't understand. Yeah. I, I, I am completely baffled by what happened. Um Yeah, so so we talked about uh just the fact that um you know that's not the way that 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 law enforcement is trained, right? I am very curious again as to you know neither one of us are psychologists, you know, um, but you, so you do you, a lot of people have been throwing race into this and saying that uh, this would not have happened if it was a white male or and you're saying that you you think he would have done this to someone to someone else and it doesn't re, regardless of the race or even the yeah. gender it doesn't matter to you. Yeah, I think this particular guy. Um, just, I mean, you know, he had a history of, of violence, I guess you could say, or, or violent encounters. Um, and I, I just, that was the body language that you could read on him was he was, for him, it was more about the control. Uh, and, and I think he was trying to make an example or, 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 or prove a point, um, Whatever that point was, whatever example he was trying to set uh, is, well, maybe in court we'll hear about it. But um, I just, I've been around enough cops. Uh, I've been around a lot of cops. I mean, and are there racist cops? I'm sure. But I, I'm also sure that there's racist plumbers. I'm sure that there's, <laughs> there's, there's racist car salesmen. Right. I know, right, right. I know this. I know this. You know, uh, it was probably racist pizza makers, who, whatever, racist martial artists. I know these are, these things are true. Um, now, out of all of the martial artists that I know, I personally only have proof that two are racist. Um, and and even with that, I think you have to look at. All right, so. Is he so? He's racist, but is he is he kicking old ladies down flights of stairs? Is he beating up people, or is it just that I don't like them? I don't like them. I don't want to like them. I don't. And if that's his, if that's his only crime, 
do you? Do you? Um, I don't think that it, it's it, it's one thing when somebody is acting on that and acting uh, in accordance with that, then there's a problem. But you know, again, I think that this guy. I have a hard time taking on the, the concept that po police departments and mass are, are practicing this, you know what I mean? Like the, the, the racist behaviors and, and, and you know what I mean? Like that would, that's a hard sell. That's a real hard sell. Now, again, there can be individuals that, without a doubt. And I, I've, you know, you may have worked with some, I don't know. Um, yeah, so uh, I, I think that um, yeah, I think that that it's that it's a tough question. It's not as easy and it's not as black and white. Did I work with some? I'm quite sure I did. You know, I was a supervisor the vast majority of my time, so they're not going to come up to me and say all kind of crazy stuff, or I never heard about it. Right. But um, I do think that there are some departments who have a a culture to them. Sure. Um, Sure. Uh, so, so I think that that's what what we're trying to break, and I definitely want to get into this about the culture and how and what your thoughts are about the protests and all that kind of stuff. But let me just finish this thought about the culture. Sure. Uh, I do think, and, and I think that Ferguson, Missouri, was a prime example of the culture uh, that needed to be broken. Right? Mm -hmm. If you remember the Mike Brown incident in Ferguson, Missouri, in which the mayor, uh, the the city town uh, uh, um, uh, governing body there were writing emails and all kind of crazy stuff. And so they were in, in, intentionally targeting African-Americans and trying to bolster their, their coffers for their, for their city government. Sure. So I think that that culture, now what individual police officers within that particular department, they probably didn't like it. They probably didn't agree with it, but they're going yeah. along with the culture. And I right. think that culture comes from the top. Now, I, I, many people say it's the top, as far as the top brass, chief is deputies or or second or third command i think culture goes higher than that. i think it goes to yes them but also the district attorneys uh, who sure. are going to prose prosecute these these cases it's going to go towards uh the mayor who says these are the policies that i want or backs up uh, uh illegal activity and all that yeah. kind of stuff so so yeah. so yeah so you, you you raise a really good point so let's talk about what you what you want to see you you have uh kids uh, we talked before you have uh, 18 and 22 year old mm -hmm. they're entering into the world graduate from college and going to see the real world right no longer up under daddy and mommy's you know skirt tail and all that kind of stuff right they can't hide anymore right. uh, what is it that you are hoping comes from these protests or are you hoping for anything you know i i, I i'm hoping uh for some bridges to be built you know what i mean um I think the protests are a good thing as long as no one's getting hurt. Um, I think the, uh, I think, but there's gotta be a, a what's next. And, 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 and with the protest, the protest is good. That's, that's the first step. But the second step is what do we do now? You've got the, I mean, yes, get their, get people's attention, get their ear, get them, get people to, stop get them to now get them to listen but now if you've gotten them to stop you've gotten them to listen let's hear a message and 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 let's build a bridge of communication um 
you know, there's a saying, uh, it's a, it's a, a Japanese saying, you know, fix the problem, not the blame. You know what I mean? And so it, we've pointed out that, okay, there are some issues that need to be addressed. Do, let's get some solutions now. And we've got to get solutions that work uh, all the way around. And I don't think that's impossible. You know what I mean? Because you've got to address uh, the financial burden of it all. You know, so if you're saying that people are saying like um, police should get better training, sure. Where's the money come from? Can we how or or how can it be redirected so that that can be that can happen? Because if it's just as simple as getting them better training, if if it is that simple. Let's do it. Um, but it's probably not that simple. Um, it, it's probably a lot of things. Where does it happen? Who's going to help facilitate this? Like, is it something where, um, and, and no offense to anyone who uh, works uh, in the service of their, their fellow man as a police officer, but I'm probably pretty sure that a lot of guys on the job of PTSD, you know, and, and, and some might be aware of it and do nothing. That's too bad. Um, and I'm not saying having PTSD is a crime. That's not a crime. And that's not something that you, you punish someone for. It's not something you shame. I'm saying that, uh, someone with PTSD, they can be a little radical at times. They can be a little wild at times. They can be unpredictable or volatile. Um, Maybe not all the time, and you don't even know when it's going to show up. That's how you know how volatile people can be. You know, it's like ten times a week, this guy's fine. It just so happened on Sunday morning in church, someone said something he didn't like, and he flipped. Who knows? Uh, so I think um, there should definitely be some money uh, or services allocated to help these guys. I mean, again. You know, you were a police officer. You've seen, I'm sure you've seen some crazy stuff. Um, how does that not affect you? How does it not, you know what I mean? Like you, you see a guy gun down somebody in cold blood. Last week you saw a kid get run over by a, a car. Um, another guy, who knows? You know what I mean? How does that not affect you? How does that not, um, you know what I mean? That hurts you. And I think that's a, a definitely a step in the right direction to uh, help combat this issue. Um, I mean, no one wants to think that they need counseling, but again, I can tell you that, I mean, my own, my own personal life, there are some things that one day it just hit me. I'm like, wow, you know what? I'm still hurting from something that happened five years ago. You know, maybe I wasn't aware of it. Maybe I was in denial about it. That's people, you know what I mean? And and it, I, I definitely agree with you. And I think that a lot more people really need to uh, be open up to the fact that they uh, need some type of help or, or to talk to someone. People need to, you know, whether it's go to church, have a best friend, seek uh uh, real uh, professional help, do whatever it takes to to get rid of the pain. And police officers are definitely, definitely, um, uh, um, you, you know, at risk for and suffering from 
uh, PTSD, uh, or, or you know, or, or they have some type of issue that needs to be addressed. And so this is a problem that I think that many people are, are really that I think that officers departments are really trying to address. Uh, more police officers are being are dying from uh, from committing suicide. Sure. Uh, in comparison to obviously dying in the line of duty. And this is a real serious problem. And as you mentioned, and, and you're so right, that if you snap at the wrong time, whether it's in church or you snap on the street because of uh, the things that we've been exposed to all these years, uh, you know, if you take that out on the wrong person at the wrong time, then, then calamity certainly will strike. Um, so, yeah, so definitely with the reforms that come, whether no matter what they are, I know people are talking crazy about defunding the police and all this kind of crazy stuff. Uh, but certainly some of those reforms have to be looking at mental health for police officers, uh, past, sure. and, past and present. So we're definitely, definitely in agreement about that. Definitely in agreement about that. You know what else, too, is. Um, so if you look at how that how the system works, right? So, you know, you you you. you Put an ad in the paper, you know, hiring for police officers, right? Or you put it on the internet, whatever it is, you know. So where do they come from? They come from, I mean, we're pulling people from, you know, the community at large. So maybe if we, as, as human beings, start to act better, we'll get, you know what I'm saying? Like, in other words, it's not like, like all of humanity lives here and then there's a special place where, okay, we're going to go and, and we need 10 cops. We need 20 cops. We need a whole police department. Go get from, you know, from planet, you know, whatever. It's they're from, it's our community of that we draw from. You know what I mean? So, and unfortunately, sometimes as people, we might be a flawed design. You know what I mean? You know, if you think about it, right? We have this great capacity for kindness, but sometimes we have a capacity to just be mean for no reason. Think about it. You're driving down the road. People do this all the time. And anybody who says they don't do this, they're lying. You're driving down the road. You see a car coming up and it and you can tell that they're on a, on an intercept course. They're going to cut in front of you. I've been in the car do, driving and a car's coming up to pass me or, or cut in front of me. And the person next to me is like, don't let them go. Don't let, don't let this car in. Who cares? So, like, why would I do that? So, you know what I'm saying? Like, so we have this capacity to just do each other rotten sometimes, which doesn't help anything. Yeah. I just want to give a shout out to uh, a couple of great instructors that I see here in the, in the chat here. Mike Edwards and... Uh, hey, Mike. Edward Sean there. Oh, man. I'll see you soon, Ed. <laughs> <laughs> I've been looking for you. <laughs> Yeah, so I appreciate them stopping by. Uh, learned a lot from those two guys. So yeah. I just want to give them a shout out. Um, so we've been on for a little bit now. I really appreciate it, man. So tell us what you got coming up. I mean, you're going to be opening up. Where's your place at? Where's your spot? You got a website, Instagram, Twitter. What, what are you doing? Uh, how can we contact you? Uh, what's going on? All right. So um, I am located... Uh, 1669 Thomaston Avenue in Waterbury. 1669 Thomaston Avenue in Waterbury. Fourth floor, uh, we call it the penthouse dungeon. Um, 
uh, you can find me on I'm on I'm on all of it. I'm on Twitter. I am on Facebook. Um, uh, Instagram is my favorite social media these days because you're less likely to fight somebody or you know what I mean because people on Facebook have been crazy. Um, so uh, I am C Smith I M B C T on Instagram. Um, and I, I always try to put some cool videos. I even share some of my photography. Uh, and um, the website for the gym is imbct.com. Imbct.com. Uh, the gym is International Martial Arts Boxing of Connecticut. And, uh, and that's where you can find me. Um, Hopefully, uh, what is it, the 17th, it's been bumped up. So hopefully on the 17th, uh, we can reopen. Or if, well, we will reopen. Um, and eventually, as uh, the restrictions uh, loosen up, you know, it'd be great to do some hands-on stuff with people. Um, I do have an online training group. Uh, it's called the IMBCT Online Training Group, which you can find that on Facebook. Um, and, uh, I have a, a, I don't know what you call it, a, a personal thing, uh, C Smith it's on Facebook and I address like, it's just only about martial arts, only martial arts, um, anything, all things related fight, you know what I mean? Uh, so there will, there's never any discussion about, uh, politics or anything like that. But if you have a question about training, sparring, improving your martial arts. Um, I'm always answering questions about that kind of stuff. Uh, I am on YouTube. Um, and uh, in fact, a couple years ago, we did a, a FAQ. People sent in a whole bunch of questions and we did like a, a, a 20 question series. Um, just addressing everything from, you know, how do you maintain training uh, with limited equipment? How do you maintain training now that you're older? Um, if you have limited resources, limited equipment, whatever the case may be. Uh, and um, I don't know, man, it's, it's a blessing to be able to do this kind of work. It's, you know, people think that like martial arts is just uh, about either fitness or fighting. And that's great. Uh, it, those two things do exist in the martial arts. But man, uh, martial arts got me to go back to school. So at one point, I had you know left college, and it, I don't know. I was training a lot and 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 loving it. And then one day, I'm like, you know what? I uh, I miss school. You know what I mean? I learned and I learned how to learn because of the martial arts. I learned, finally learned how I learn. Mm. Um, obviously, socially, I've met some great friends. Um, the martial arts has also taken me all over this country. It's even taken me out of, out of, out of the country. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things where you can lose yourself and find yourself in, in, that's a, that's awesome, right? How do you how do you put a price on that? You know what I mean? Yeah, you probably you can't, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you get lost in it. You can. I mean, I have a great relationship with my kids because of the martial arts. You know, um, 
I don't know if everyone could say that, you know. So I wanted to uh, address a question. Thanks, Mike, for asking this question. Uh, what has been my experience uh, concerning racism while I was a cop and throughout my career? I, I bragged numerous times about the Waterbury Police Department and many of the problems that other departments have had. And I'm not just saying that. Uh, it has been really great. Uh, um, I will tell a, a story about when I first, uh, uh, when we passed the, you know, the initial test to come on. Uh, and then after that, and then um, we're, we're going to sign up and do the, fill out the paperwork for um, you know who your you know who your spouse is and who who your beneficiaries are going to be and all that kind of stuff. So we're, you know fill out the W twos and all that kind of stuff. So we're filling all that out, and I won't say his name, uh, but he was uh, in the training division at the time, and so he's asking a question. Okay, make sure and he starts saying, okay, make sure that you guys fill out the paperwork and and uh, put down all your kids. I didn't have any kids at the time. I'm 22, and he kept saying it, and he's kind of looking around. Make sure you fill out all the paperwork and who your kids are. You mean to tell me that you people in here don't have any kids and don't need? Now it's obvious I'm the only black dude in there. It's <laughs> obvious. It's obvious who he's talking about. So another friend of mine who we came on together, you know, at the time after we finished filling everything out. Now, at the, first of all, let me say at the time he's saying this, I'm like, what in the world did I just sign up for? What am I getting myself in for? This is where I'm coming into this this kind of world, this kind of environment. So we finished filling all the paperwork. We're going to leave right before we uh, start the academy. I mean, you know, you know, a couple of days we're going to start the academy. So this guy comes up to me and says, "Hey, man, how'd you feel? Uh, you know, you, we all know he's talking about you. I'm like, I know he's talking about me too. You know, so, uh, so that was that was an incident. Obviously, uh, that was the first incident that that really kind of set an impression on me. Uh, but once I got there, I mean, you, you heard stuff here and there. Um, but uh, my my experience was not bad. Uh, I did not uh, I did not witness that many uh, incidents on the street. There was one incident where uh, one of the officer we had we had responded to a fight, and it was a big fight. On uh, anybody who knows anything about uh, Waterbury, it was what we call the Sugar Bowl. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> so we had responded to the fight as the Sugar Bowl, uh, and so um, so we're breaking up fights and all this kind of stuff. And so I hear another one officer, he's got this guy, he's setting him down he's, and, he start, and he calls him the N-word. So I'm walking around the corner, it's just going, I'm like, come on, man. So the guy's looking at me, the black dude's looking at me. The officer then looks over at me, kind of hangs his head. And so, you know, we had a little bit of words after that. The guy, the officer did go to the uh, guy who was under arrest and did apologize to him. Uh, then he apologized to me. Um, and he was really, I could tell he's really remorseful. Um, but those are probably the two biggest experience, experiences. I don't think that I was ever discriminated against um, for any, against uh, for any assignments. Um, they continually gave me, uh, as a patrol officer, we get assigned different areas. And so I worked in the midnight shift. I was one of the, for a long time, I was the only black officer. Then we got a couple of other black officers. We had Vinnie Reddick and we had, uh, uh, um, we had uh, Sean Robinson. I think Mike Epps was there for a little bit. So, wow. you know, here and there, but I, I was a kind of a mainstay because I wanted to stay there uh, for my kids. Uh, let's say in third shift for, for, my, for my kids. So anyway, um, so I continually got areas. I'm like, man, well, how come How come I keep getting these areas, right? So they usually gave them to senior officers. At this time, I might not have been a senior. I don't even think I was a senior officer. I was there four or five years before I got, I got 
before I got promoted. So I'm not, I know that there's other senior people and I'm getting these areas. So I'm like, man, are they kind of kissing up to me because I'm black? You know, I, so I, I, I don't know. I don't know. But, but, but listen, I, I really, I always brag about the Waterbury Police Department. Um, they never did me wrong. I never had a problem or issue. Uh, never, I don't think that I was ever excluded from any type of assignment. Uh, they gave me classes, sent me to become a defensive tactics instructor, all that kind of good stuff. So I don't think that there was any issues uh, uh, with that. With that, as, as you and I talked, you, you, uh, Chris, know a lot of different other officers from different departments, um, and you said that you you don't know anyone. I, I had uh, or know anyone who has racist tendencies. Uh, last night, I was on a different uh, podcast. Uh, and he, there was a white officer there and he works in the southern part of California. And he says, you know, even in the secret times that we're all when it's just a bunch of white officers, he said he just doesn't know anyone who who thinks that way. Um, so. Uh, so, yeah, um, you know, I, I don't know what goes on in other cities, other towns. Um, something's going on uh, we, as we talked about structural type of problems, issues. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, but yeah, no, I agree with you, Mike. It was, it was certainly not bad. Uh, it, it was a great place to work. I didn't have any problems or issues and I'm very appreciative of all the opportunities and, and all the guys that I work, I work with. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. If I so. may, um, in all my years of living in Waterbury, um, I've never, I, I have never encountered uh, any issues of racism from the Waterbury Police, from the Waterbury Police Department. I've never. Um, and, and, and listen, there, you know, growing up, there were times when I'm like, <laughs> you know what I mean? I was, you know, mischievous, nothing bad, but I definitely got into my share of trouble and always put it this way. I don't have a record. You know what I mean? Um, I, you know, you get into a fight and it, it got sorted out. You know what I mean? Like now, definitely, you know, you've got some officers who might say, you know what? You're both getting arrested. You guys were fighting. But a lot of times they just sorted it out. What was going on? This is, listen, go home. You do this. And, you know, I personally believe that's good police work. Again, I'm not a cop, so I can't comment on like what really is good police work. But I do know that as a result of how, what was the word you used before the the culture of the department right. um that when it's required to be hands-on i think it happens and when it's not it, it, it doesn't happen you know what I mean? when it's not required um maybe other police departments i think sometimes you might have a couple of guys who just might be uh due to maybe lack of training just might they might be a little nervous or skittish and sometimes when a, and an individual is nervous they jump the shark a little bit and, and maybe are a little overzealous when it comes to handling a scenario but at least in this town i've never had a problem let yeah. me ask you about the nervous and skittishness uh, like so, i said i had a i had a conversation with um uh, another uh, officer, and he was a defensive tactics instructor as well. And I'm sure that Mike and uh, Ed, Ed is still here. They can probably, you know, comment on this as well. Uh, he was saying that um, many officers are going to the gun. Many officers are going to the taser uh, because they, or, or many other tools, because they 
have a um, they're not confident in their hand to hand skills and or verbal skills, right? So they're just sure. immediately or uh, you know going to these other uh, forms of taking persons into custody. What are you, what are your thoughts about that? I think that's very accurate. Um, you know, having worked with some of the guys over the years, I've seen some guys be real receptive uh, to learning something different. And then I've seen some that perhaps they just aren't that physically gifted. Their, their attributes aren't strong. And so they might, and, and unfortunately, right, they're only allowed a certain amount of time. So how much can you really learn? You, you're, what, uh, you're in a six-month academy. Of all that time, how much do you really get a chance to spend on defensive tactics? And, and 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 stuff. You know, you get what maybe if you were to condense all the time, a month, maybe maybe two, two months. Yeah. And and you got to learn policy and procedure and and you know what I'm saying? Like yeah, you might default to what you used to do when what you used to do is. <laughs> yeah. Uh oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, instinct certainly starts kicking in, and that and that certainly can be wrong. During my uh, and I talked about this on, on the other show that I was on. Uh, you know, we had uh, our um, you know regional training was was two weeks long, right? Our recertification uh, training was two weeks long, and then we had three of those days were dedicated towards defensive ta tactics. You know, three days out of ten, you know, essentially. Uh, of course, with, uh, with with cutbacks and and you know hiring for overtime and people getting hurt, then then we cut back on all that kind of stuff. Right. Um, so I think that that really hurts, uh, you know, a department. And I think that uh, once again, as we're talking about now, people resort back to instinct. Uh, they don't have the training, as as Mike is saying. They don't have the uh, the confidence. Um, and so all that kind of stuff. So, so therefore, you know, it becomes a problem and now it starts playing out into these crazy viral videos. And as Mike said before, uh, um, the meat is not helpful with this issue. And, you know, we agree, you know, they, they kind of pounce on, on a story, uh, and now, you know, it kind of blows up a lot of times. So sure. Sure. Yeah. You yeah. know, too many times too, like you only get, and it, it's the media, uh, they only give you a part of the story. Um, or you get the edited version, uh, and, and sometimes it may have been worse than what you thought it was, and then sometimes it might be not as bad as it was. You know, maybe the the whatever precipitated the whole thing is is missing. So you, you know what I mean? Like we on the outside only get to see the edited version of it, and that's not necessarily a good thing. You know, yeah, yeah. you've got to look at it with a. A, a, a clear lens and we need all of the data. We need all of the information. Yeah. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. I just want to put this up there. Mike said again here, confidence and skill reduces the likelihood of excessive force. And I, I can't, I can't uh, agree with that more, right? If you, sure. especially, especially verbal judo, I don't think I'm being very serious. I don't think I've ever had a fight until uh, until I was like four or five years on the job because I was able to just talk to people, right? Um, yeah. So it's it's really important that people have that have the skill, have the confidence, and I would also say with skill is that verbal verbal judo, that ability to be empathetic and not just going there trying to control every situation rah rah and yelling at people. If you know sure. how to talk to people, 
and, and know how to de-escalate the situation, uh, then we can certainly uh, do a lot more, right? Yeah, you know, Dave Gennetti turned me on to that book, Verbal Judo, like yeah. 20 years ago. And I remember reading it, and I was like, oh, that's a pretty cool book. And then uh, there's another book uh, that is really good. Uh, <laughs> it's out of print. It's called A Bouncer's Guide to Barroom Brawling. And it's not about fighting. It's basically about uh, understanding the psychology of, um, of, a, of, of violence, you know what I mean, of, of, of violent people. So uh, in my 20s and in my 30s, I worked as a bouncer all the time. And uh, I remember one time in particular, um, I, I go and, and insert myself into what's about to be a fight. And this guy's like, and he, whatever he said. And I'm like, listen, man, why don't you just, just go home? Why don't you make me? And I'm like, listen, we can do this. If you want, we can fight. And you know what? Maybe you'll beat me up. But if you beat me up, you're going to get arrested. Maybe I beat you up. And then what's going to happen is you're going to get beat up and get arrested. But if you leave, hey, man, you come back next week, you come back tomorrow. It'll be cool. I don't care. You know, so knowing how to talk to people um, and, and the confidence that, you know, you and Mike are talking about to be able to say that helps a lot. You know what I mean? So if you've got the confidence, you know that you don't have to say something that's going to be uh, incendiary and, and, and really set somebody off. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I, yeah. You know, yeah. a lot of times people are looking for a way to back out of a, of a altercation. You just have to, you know, you just have to identify it and, and know what to say or, or how to give them that way out. Absolutely. Know? Absolutely. I like what Art said here too. I'll put this back on interpersonal skills can be most valuable tool in the toolbox. It's coming from a former corrections officer there. So he, you know, they gotta, they gotta be able to talk cause they're outnumbered and boxed in, <laughs> you know, so oh, they, gotta yeah. be, they gotta be able to, to get out of the situations there. Yeah. Um, so sure yeah so so thank you very much everyone hey listen up i appreciate um everyone's comments i certainly appreciate um chris smith coming on i appreciate everyone's comments chris smith coming on thank you so much he gave thank us his you. information make sure you guys hit him up i do want to ask one one last question i'm yeah. getting i'm getting older uh i know art's a little bit older eric's a little bit older mike's older we're all getting older uh is it too late for us to to do some type of workout, to, to try to stay in shape, get back in the gym, mixed martial arts. We all can't be uh, Apicella there, uh, but <laughs> can, can we can we do something to 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 at least uh, get in get in the flow there and make sure that we're staying staying uh, in shape? Yes, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. And and you'd be surprised. You you start slow, and then once you started. And that's all it is. You just start slow. Once you start, it gets easier. It gets easier every day. Um, I mean, I'm I'm 48 years old, and uh, so far, I'm still in there, you know, duking it out in the trenches with the young guys. Um, although my daughter swears that one day she's going to choke me out, 
Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm on her list, you know, so I, I that's my motivation. I got to make She's sure. gunning for you. She's gunning for me, you know? Um, so <laughs> I, uh, but yeah, you know, for most people, they just, they're apprehensive about starting or they might be afraid to start. Don't, don't be afraid to start. Just start. You start, you, you pick up a jump rope. You, you jump rope for three minutes, okay? You start with some shadow boxing and learn how to punch properly with good balance, good form. Then now you can hit the bag. Now once you're doing three rounds of bag work and three rounds of jumping rope, which isn't that hard to do, and then now we start working on your defensive skills. And then, and you know, you need some head movement, how to cover, how to block, how to catch, parry. And then now, there you go. You know, Very good. So it is easy. It's, it's easy. Very good. So we should never give up. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for everyone out there. I got to get the same pajamas that uh, the head has. <laughs> uh Guys, next week I got a couple of judges, uh, twin judges. They're actually real twins. I had one of them on before. You guys scroll through my archives. Her name is uh, Shanta Owens. Uh, she's really, well, yeah, she's really, really smart. Uh, she's a judge down in Georgia. And apparently she has a twin sister who's also a judge. Uh, so I just found that out. So they're going to come on next Monday. Uh, and um, and they're going to talk about uh, the George uh, Floyd incident and, and other stuff. Um, so I'm really looking forward to, to that conversation. Um, and then the following week, I'm going to have a defense attorney uh, on from uh, from New York City. Um, and she's going to talk about it as well. She's really kind of anti-cop. She's a defense attorney, but she's really, really anti-cop. So that'll be a, a great discussion. So I'm kind of looking forward to both of those conversations. Um, so thank you so much, Chris Smith, for coming on. Really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much for everyone for coming in, tuning thank in. You. I really appreciate it, guys. Thank you so much. And I will see you guys again. Take care. Thank you. Take care, guys. All right. Police reform is more than just a trending topic. My name is Lawrence Hunter. I'm a retired police captain from the state of Connecticut. And I've written a new book called Police Reform. And I talk about the evolution of law enforcement here in America and what changes need to be made in order to improve the relationship between the police and the communities that they serve. Over the past few months, it has become increasingly more important and more evident that there's something amiss and awry between the police and the communities that they serve. So whether you're about defunding the police or defending the police, if you're about Blue Lives Matter or Black Lives Matter, no matter what side of the fence you happen to sit on, make sure that you pick up your copy of Police Reform today.